Good morning. Today is Palm Sunday, and so I wanted to preach on one of the events surrounding the, the week, uh, the days around Palm Sunday. So take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Palm Sunday is kind of a bright and cheerful day in, in the biblical narrative. Everybody's praising God and, and uh, calling him Hosanna, and, or calling Hosanna and the different names. And it's just a beautiful time, but we're at a point in Jesus' ministry where his hour has come. And that's a, that's a phrase borrowed from the book of John. The Gospel of John repeatedly says his hour has not come. And then finally in that last week, he says uh, his hour has come. But there's trouble brewing, and Mark tells us a story in a very particular way, and I love the way he does it. He tells it, uh, sandwiching a story about Judas. Uh, the opening two verses introduce us to a plot by the scribes and of the chief priests to capture and kill the Lord Jesus, and then you'll see at the end of this story, in verses 10 and 11, that there's a return to that story, and that's the outer shell this treachery going on on either side. But right in the middle, Mark gives us this total contrast. It's a, it's a beautiful way to tell the story because uh, it's, a, it's a story of contrast. It's a story of love and betrayal. It's a story of, of darkness and light. And we're given this beautiful glimpse of this woman who gives the very best thing that she has to Jesus because she loves him. She absolutely adores him. She's devoted to him. And the contrast between the darkness on the outside and the light and the love on the inside could not be greater. It's a little bit like if you're a Lord of the Rings person, and I'm not really that much of a Lord of the Rings person. I know a little bit about it. But you, if you remember, the Lord of the Rings has this beautiful opening story in Hobbiton, and everything is wonderful and idyllic and and pastoral, and then all of a sudden it turns sinister because evil is brewing in the land. And Mark tells the story in such a way that here's this beautiful, idyllic story, yet trouble is brewing in Jerusalem. And so we're going to read verses 1 to 11 so we get the whole story, but we're going to cover verses 3 to 9 in particular, if you'll stand with me as we begin reading chapter 14 and verse number 1. Now it was two days before the Passover, and the feast of unleavened bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking to arrest him by stealth and kill him, for they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, a year's wages, basically. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. 
And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful uh, portrait of, of worship and love and adoration in the midst of a dark and sinister plot to kill our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, as I have prayed innumerable times already in the last few days, will you draw our hearts to worship and magnify and glorify Jesus Christ? And will you instill in us eyes fixed upon Jesus and realize that no, no act of worship or no act of service for the Lord Jesus Christ is too extravagant. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. I've uh, um, just loved studying this passage. My heart is so full I can't even begin to explain to you uh, what, what has been done in my heart from studying this passage. But we see the strange, extravagant uh, offering of worship by this woman who poured this expensive uh, perfume on the Lord Jesus and we see the vocal indignation in response to this by the disciples and then we see the wonderful pronouncement by Jesus that of what this woman has done and even as we see these things uh, we learn something of what our Lord is like we're reminded of the priority of Jesus Jesus only is around the humble, those that humble themselves. He could have been hung, hanging out with the mayor of Bethany or the city officials, but rather he's with Simon the leper, and he's with uh, uh, Lazarus and, and his sisters. Isn't it interesting that our Lord Jesus Christ is invited to a leper's home? Lepers are normally outcasts. Our Lord Jesus didn't have a home, and so he stayed with a former leper in his home, he draws near to the, to the humble. And he was reclining at the table, which is what they did at formal banquets. And, and here comes this woman with an alabaster flask of oil, Mark says, and anointed him. Now we know from the book of John, John chapter 12, that this woman was Mary, the sister of Lazarus. And this event happened within a, a days of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead just days prior to this. And, and so Martha was also there, and she was serving. And Mary takes this alabaster flask. It's a, it's a white, uh, almost like a marble flask, filled with a pound of ointment. And she broke it, and she poured the whole thing on Jesus' head. This is an astounding act of great devotion. We, we learn in, in verse number 5 that it was a whole year's wages practically speaking. You realize what that is? That's $77,000 worth of ointment she poured on his head, gone in just a few moments. Filled the house with the fragrance of it. $77,000 in Culpeper annual budget or household income, uh, you could say. Can you believe it? Think about that for just a minute. How extravagant is that would you do that for the Lord Jesus Christ she was all in she didn't open the top 
and pour a little dab out and put it on him, she broke it so there, so there was no return. There was no way for her to turn back from what she did. She didn't just dab a little bit on him. I could just imagine, Mary, let's be reasonable here. Can you just be a little bit reasonable? You don't have to break the, the flask. You could show your gratitude in much more measured ways, Mary. Let's not get rambunctious. Let's not get emotional. Let's, let's think about this for just a minute. Let's not pour $70,000 worth of perfume on his head and on his feet. But that's not the heart of worship, is it? The heart of worship is to do everything. Go all in for Jesus Christ. The Psalms, she takes, she takes her most valuable possession and she gives it to Jesus. And this is how she explains what she thinks of him. Let me repeat this. She takes her most valuable possession and she gives it to Jesus. And in this way, she explains what and how much she thinks of Jesus Christ. She wants him to have it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. But as Mary pours out her perfume, she's pouring out her heart. She's filled with genuine love and gratitude and devotion, and that's the heart of worship. The psalmist tells us, ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. The Lord Jesus Christ doesn't say, now Mary, you're going just a little bit far here. Let's settle down. No, he receives her worship and her extravagant act of devotion to him because he is worthy to be praised and he alone. There's no act of worship too extravagant for Jesus. There's no act of service that's too great for Jesus. Are you familiar with the story of William Borden? In 1904, William Borden, who was a member of the Borden Dairy family, you're familiar with that, that brand name, right? Borden. Finished high school in Chicago, and his graduation gift for finishing high school was to travel around the world on a cruise. While traveling the Near East and the Far East, he became heavily burdened for the lost. Ultimately, on his way to China to witness the Muslims there, he contracted spinal meningitis in Egypt and died within a month at the age of 25. But after his death, his father was looking through a Bible that he'd given to him in high school. And um, while he was traveling the world and, and became burdened for missions, he wrote in the back of his Bible, no reserves. When he graduated from college from Yale, top of his class, Wall Street courted him. The family business needed him. Law school beckoned him. But William Borden's soul had been captured by Christ and the Holy Spirit would not let him waver. And after disposing of his wealth, his father found written in the back of his Bible, no retreat. And some days before he died, there in Egypt in his bed, in the back of his Bible, he wrote these final words, no regrets. No regrets. 
Borden knew that Christ was far more valuable than all the riches of the world. That is the heart of worship. And I'm curious. I'm curious. If people were to examine your life, would, even, would people be able to tell that you even think of Jesus, much less worship Him? Mary knew Jesus and what He'd done. And she gave everything to Him. Because He's worth it, isn't He? But those who lacked understanding thought it was very wasteful. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For the ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. Here's these people with defective devotion. They're, they're deeply flawed, the disciples were, in the way that they assess Mary. And it's a little bit of a rebuke because all of us know how from time to time how we misjudge the, the motives of other Christians, don't we? And we think and we say unfair things about them. And the disciples definitely did that here. They misjudged her heart and the motives of Mary. And they didn't understand the significance of what she was doing. They completely misunderstood her act. And they weren't, they weren't just a little bit annoyed. Look at that verse again. The ESV says that they scolded her. Their irritation rose to the level of fury. That word scolded means to flare the nostrils. They were so angry with Mary for her waist that their nostrils were flaring in criticism. Mary, you wasted a whole bottle when you could have fed the poor and done some other real good things in this world. But even as we see the sad scene play out, we learn that nothing else that we do matters unless we rightly apprehend the, the priority of Christ. And Mary did. Mary understood the priority of Christ in a way that the disciples themselves were struggling to grasp, weren't they? Their concern for the poor was not sufficiently anchored in their apprehension of Christ's love for them and in their love for Christ, or they never would have spoken this way. How could you possibly waste anything on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? How could anything possibly be wasted on Him? You will never waste anything on Jesus Christ. You will never waste your time. You will never waste your strength. You will never waste your life. It will never be wasted on the Lord Jesus Christ. And Mary understood that. And she understood that in a way that the disciples had yet to grasp. They would, right? Praise be to God. But they didn't at that time. And it's a beautiful thing to see her pour out her heart and her light. And even as she pours out this vile perfume, no gift is too great in response for such love as Jesus' love. And it reminds me of the chorus of my favorite hymn. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst Die for me. Amen? Amen. He died for me. And He died for you. What amazing divine love, which only gives everything, but is content to be unreturned. And you'll never, never, never outgive His love. Who knows how long that heirloom had been in that family? 
We don't know. It, it was an heirloom. These were like, these were um, investments. But Jesus was worth it. And so she worshipped him with what was perhaps the most valuable possession that her whole family owned. And the disciples are shocked. But God is pleased. And Jesus is pleased. And we see that in verses 6 to 9. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She anointed my body beforehand for burial. Jesus' response ultimately testifies to his uniqueness, doesn't it? Uh, It testifies to his death. And it forces us to reflect upon his coming death. And it includes a blessing. And again we learn this. That true faith in Christ apprehends who he is. It understands who he is. It grasps who he is. It understands his uniqueness. And if you truly believe Jesus... You understand and you embrace him as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And true faith also embraces him in what he's done. It understands the meaning and the significance of his death and the benefits which flow from that death for all those who believe. And true faith apprehends Christ in who he is and what he's done and all his benefits And Mary gave her most priceless gift, her most priceless possession, to anoint him before he died. And while this is extravagant, it pales in comparison to the generosity of the Father towards us who believe. Isn't that true? Praise God for his generosity. He gave his only son. Think, I want us to meditate. Let's just read some scriptures and think about the generosity of God. But God showed his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, what? Christ died for his enemies. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you think God is generous? Yes, he's generous. Amazing love. Think about this. For while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his what? His life. And that's what we're going to celebrate next week, right? His resurrection life. He died and he rose again. And we will raise again. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection and the hope. And this is all done because of the generosity of God by giving His Son. And I love the fact that, that when you go to the book of Revelation, the first two scenes in heaven you see, you see the saints praising God for His creation. And in the next chapter, you see the saints praising Jesus for our redemption. Because it is when we get to heaven, we'll really, truly understand and grasp all that has been given us in Jesus Christ. What shall we say to these things? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, He is reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present 
you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. I cannot wait till the day I am presented holy and blameless and above reproach in front of the God of the universe who could incinerate me just like that. But because of what Jesus has done, I get his robes of righteousness. Praise be to God for his generosity. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give with him graciously? Give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who's at the right hand of God? Who's indeed interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? And the answer is what? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Praise be to God. I ask once more, is there anything that we can offer God that's too extravagant? Now, Jesus' response may seem a little callous. Look at what he says. He says, the poor you will always have with you. That sounds kind of callous, doesn't it? But he's not being callous towards the poor at all. He's, rather, he's saying this to them. Friends, I'm going to be physically present with you for a little longer. In just a little while, I will no longer, I will no longer be, be going in and among you. I will no longer be with you. In just a, a little while, uh, I'll be gone. Your opportunities for pouring out your devotion to me physically will pass. Never again will you see me and embrace me until the day of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Never again will you be able to speak to me and see me face to face. You won't be able to pour out an alabaster vial of perfume on me. And therefore, because of the uniqueness of these circumstances, and though I always want you to care for the poor, it was perfectly proper that Mary should devote this kind of extraordinary sacrifice to me. That's what he's saying. Mary understood and was devoted to Jesus Christ. Jesus said this. I want you to think about this with me. Jesus said this. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Have you ever thought about how odd that is? Years I would read that and think about what on earth does that mean, right? I think Mary understood what she was doing. I really do. I am certain that she heard him speak of his death. Mark 8, 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed after three days rise again. Mark uh, chapter number 10, or 9, 31. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. Mark chapter 10, verse number 33 See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. Mark is saying that the disciples still didn't get it. 
They didn't get it. But Mary got it. I think she understood what Jesus was saying. These three, four times that he predicted that he was going to die. She understood that he was going to die in the place of sinners like her. And I think that what Mary is doing is anointing the body of Jesus because she might not be able to do it when the time comes. Criminals were not allowed to have their bodies anointed. As a matter of fact, many times, criminal bodies weren't even covered. They were just tossed to the side. She probably would have absolutely no access to the body of Jesus when the time comes. So she's doing it now. She's giving him a royal burial before it actually happens. And then Jesus finishes with these words. Listen to this. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And here we are today. Remembering Mary. Remembering what she has done. Celebrating the gospel and telling her story. Wonderful, isn't it? It begs the question, well, why don't we worship like Mary did? I think the answer is that we're far too captivated by worldly things, temporal things. I think we've got the eyes on this world way too much. We're worried about the political framework. We're worried about the cultural tides. We're worried about our retirements. We're, we're trying to get ahead and, and we're seeking pleasure in, in worldly things. You know what Jesus said about this? This is a universal truth. It's not, just not a truth for salvation. He said this. He said, The care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes out the word. That's a universal principle. And he told it in, in relation to salvation. But it's true in the Christian life as well. Would to God that we become captivated by Christ and all His glory. Would to God that we would give all in worship. Would to God that we serve His body with heart, knowing that by serving His body, we are serving Him. Mary was anointing her Savior. For though the world would look at Him in the next few hours as a criminal, she acknowledged Him as her God and Savior. And it was the ultimate act that she could do in showing her love for Him. Do you know these words? Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Lord, Please forgive us for our half-heartedness. Please forgive us for having eyes on the world that should be on you. Please forgive us for taking your sacrifice for granted, your sacrificial love. 
Fill our hearts, Lord, with Your glory. Give us power to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know the love that surpasses knowledge. And Lord, I pray that You will fill us with all the fullness of God so that our hearts just burst out in worship and our bodies just get in motion serving the body of the Lord Jesus Christ so that when we get to heaven, You look back at our lives and You say to us, Dear brother and sister in Christ, Your worship was a beautiful thing. In Christ's name, amen.